Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sports Movie Madness podcast. I'm your host, Casey Bryant, alongside my guests for this week, Matt McNamara and Rob DeLuca. This week, our discussion centers around Score, a hockey musical, a 2010 hockey movie written and directed by Michael McGowan. If you haven't heard of it, consider yourself part of the majority. As I'm willing to bet if you surveyed 356 Americans across the country, maybe five would know and understand what you are talking about when you bring up score a hockey musical. And honestly, that's a travesty because it's one of the greatest bad movies of all time. It isn't we so bad. It isn't Birdemic bad, but it is so fundamentally broken, so bizarre and unfathomably bad at what it sets out to do, that it really is a wonder. And it's worth looking into. On this, the Sports Movie Madness podcast, the podcast that is going to seek to definitively rank the best to the worst sports movies of all time. Oh, Matt, let's, let's start with you. Score a hockey musical... You and I both minored in theater in college. This seems like this should be something that's up our alley, and I'm I'm left without words to describe just how this misses the mark. Yeah, for real, and, and like not just on a movie level, a musical level, a sports movie level. It misses on the main three levels you're working for with this, and it's just as you said before, it's just unfathomable. There are very few words to describe it, but we will have a lot of words. I certainly have a lot of words to describe this mess of a movie. It's just, it's just really, it's just really is a wonder. And you talked about with, you know, like the Tommy, it's not Tommy Wiseau, the room. It's not like that type of movie. And I reason, the reason I would say that to start is because they weren't trying to make a masterpiece. You know, Tommy Wiseau, to his credit, was trying to make something that he could look back on and think that would make him legendary. There's nothing about this besides the fact that McGowan takes on like every role possible that sort of connects itself to Izo in terms of how bad this movie really is. So it's just it, there's there's so many things I don't even know where to start. So you know you 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 guide the way. Uh, but I will have plenty to say on this. I promise. Rob, it's, you are are not a theater kid, but you are a great enjoyer of this this wonderful thing in this world that we call sports, sprots, if you will. If I were to pitch to you, hey, Rob, I've got a movie musical about the game of hockey that's going to blow your mind. What would your first reaction be to something like that? I. I uh, do. Do I have to? I mean, <laughs> there are so many things wrong with this movie from the first second it begins, and there there's just so much to say about how historically bad this movie could be, and yet, well, first of all, you said we were your guests for the week. I'd like to. I hope we're your we're your guests forever. I don't know. He might go like weakest link elimination style. Oh, we have to live up to his hype. We have to live up to the hype. If we if we're not good and the fans don't like us, he could you know kick the kick us down the curb. That's very true. There's there's a long long list of people that are dying to get on the Sports Movie Madness podcast here, guys. That everyone knows about. 
you you don't understand. I've got 86 YouTube subscribers. I mean, this is this is the big time here, guys. You're not going to get to a more expansive audience. Let me read the back of the box here so that people understand what exactly score a hockey musical is. Got the DVD box with them. You think I don't have the DVD? And that that is another thing I will say is that I firmly believe in supporting the artist. And for score a hockey musical, it was ten bucks off of Amazon. It's an independent movie. It was made for five million dollars, and it's uh, owned and distributed by Mongrel Media. Made in three weeks. Yeah, it was. It was. It was filmed over the course of twenty five days, and I, I firmly believe that if we don't support the artists, the independent artists, then all we'll be left with are these big budget action blockbusters and Oscar winning movies. And you know what? <laughs> We shouldn't have to stand for that. I demand a a a, a cornucopia. Casey uh, stands on that. guard for thee. Yes. Hey Casey, when are you seeing Avengers? Uh, opening weekend, bud. Of course. <laughs> I we discussed this in my in the Jersey Corner episode of the Mighty Ducks. Like I'm a slave to Disney. The all time classic. All time classic. The, the irony of that is, is that like this seems like the kind of movie that Disney would make. Allow me. 17-year-old Farley has the stick-handling skills to be the next Sidney Crosby. Not that Farley has any idea who that is. His sheltered life consists of being homeschooled by his pacifist parents, hanging out with Eve, the beautiful girl next door, and playing shinny with the local rink rats. However, his idyllic world is turned upside down when he becomes an overnight success in a a major hockey league, throwing him into a whirlwind of media hype and endorsement deals. Farley soon learns that there's an ugly side to hockey fame. <laughs> Drugs, hookers, and... Oh, oh sorry, that's a <laughs> different movie. Uh, not only threatens to compromise his values, but his relationship with Eve. This is dying to be high school musical. Why isn't it high school musical? Casey? uh, As as the high school musical expert, let me just start. Of course. As as you, as Casey, as you interest in the video, they have the same budget, correct? Correct. They were made for $5 million. Now let's remember who the directors of these films are. McGowan never directed a musical clearly. Never should again. High School Musical, Kenny Ortega, known for Dirty Dancing, Footloose, you know, obviously High School Musical, just to name a few. He knows what it's, what to do with the work he's given in terms of, as you said before, the production value, the filming of it, the scope of it. Like, he knows how to make a fun, rompy, campy, of course, musical. And as you said before, with... With score, it just doesn't hit that bill. But and High School Musical also knows it's audience. what you're aiming for, because the demo, the demographic for this movie should be that kind of tween audience. I can see this movie appealing to ages like three to twelve, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work. Well, Rob, you, about- Rob, you, you had wanted to say something before, Rob. I'm sorry, I believe we cut you off. It's fine. Uh, Casey, I just wanted to say, you sounded like the narrator from the South Park episode. That's what they... I was going for. That's what yeah. I was going Stan for. Stan Marsh is... Marsh. Rav Schneider is the stapler. The stapler. Farley Gordon is just an average kid with a dream. And he's about to find out he's a carrot. 
<laughs> Stan Marsh is going pro. He plays the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, this this whole movie it seems like a South Park sketch or an SNL sketch or like or a joke. Like mm-hmm. the first few minutes of this movie are so bewildering. It opens up with a scene of Farley Gordon uh playing pond hockey on the world no, it really pond. opens up with oh canada once yeah, you, once you get the past, prologue of this film <laughs> you get past the oh canada montage you get get the first scene scene is them playing shinny out with he's got like a group of friends that consists of a guy who's homeless apparently and collecting <laughs> bo- empty bottles and cans a 60 year old man there's a man hunched over with gray hair playing in this in this group and you're waiting for the this guy comes out to to challenge him to a game of one on one first to ten, and he is the worst singer I think I've ever heard in but a movie. Who music. is he? Who is Daryl? The, the name of the song is called Daryl versus the Kid. Who is he? Who Wait, is you it? actually knew the name of the song? Yeah, there's a song listing on the Wikipedia page. I, I have a list. Gonna look that up. I have a list of the worst song titles of this movie, but we can get to that later. Yeah. But I mean, to, to, to stay on the scene, Daryl comes out of nowhere, he shoves him, and then they start singing, a, and then just start singing a random song. Mac, we need to establish that there was no goalie in this one-on-one match. Oh, the defense was also terrible. What like, did- no effort. They all, they all literally just let I him... could do this. When, when, it's, when it's one-on-one, I don't know how many of you guys have tried to play one-on-one hockey before, be it in your driveway, in your rink. Eventually, it devolves into just shooting the puck from about 30 feet away. Yes! What What's to stop you from, like, making one move and then firing a backhander from 30 feet away? At least in... And I said this in my review. You did. At least in The Mighty Ducks 2... When Coach Gordon Bombay is challenged one on one by the Icelandic coach Wolf Stanson, it's a game of three bar. So, like, there's a semblance of skill that not only do you have to get around your man, you have to take a shot that hits a certain location. This is just like they're all they're all talking about how good Farley is. My own week. Hey, speaking of that, speaking of just that song, if I may for a sec, please. When I when I was watching the movie, I I it legit sounded and was written to me. It sounded like Charlie Kelly wrote and sang that song. Right? He does like that old like eighties metal like. Then I looked it up. It's written by the Bare Naked Ladies. By the Bare Naked Ladies, yeah. Like an actual band wrote that song. Well, you know what? You 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 can tell. China, the Chinese chicken. You you can tell that it was written by actual musicians, though, because there is a melody. And there are so many songs in this movie that do not have a melody. The the opening the opening song at least has a riff. It's the I mean, I thought it was awful, but sure. Look, it is awful. I'm not, not saying, saying it's not, not a good song. It's just like, we're just saying it, it, it is a song. It is a song. <laughs> so we we go from from that scene where the guy, Daryl, who is never seen again. Nope. Nope. To, to meeting Eve and right. establishing that relationship. And this is another song. 
This is another song that is not well-crafted from a lyrical standpoint, but at the very least, it has a verse and a chorus. It has a melody. The first two songs are at least musically structured, and you think there's hope. You think there's hope. <laughs> that it... <laughs> I agree. It's a reach. <laughs> it's well, a, the second I... song's a love song, man. I it's mean, a friend it's zone song. Just... My problem with that song is the lyrics. It's not the actual song itself. My thought from the first two scenes, my overall thought, and sorry to be that guy, from the first two scenes of the movie, at least Eve is pretty. No, she is. Allie McDonald plays Eve, Farley Gordon's love interest, the lead two actors. I will give them this. At least Allie McDonald does look comfortable around Noah Reed, who plays Farley Gordon. They do seem to have, like, you you get the feeling that they met off screen once, at least. (laughs) And Farley does get Noah Reed does give an earnest performance. It's a very honest. He's trying his best. And Alice Donald is also trying his best or excuse me, trying her best. It's just that her best isn't very good, (laughs) which is weird because like, they're both like pretty good actors. They've gotten good roles. Like Ali has been on orphan black, which is a popular show. Noah Reed is on Schitt's Creek, which is a very popular Canadian series. Like they can act. Casey, not in this movie. Yeah, Rob. You were very mean to Ally McDonald in your review. I must say, it's it's for effect mostly. But like, come on, it's she says in her behind the scenes footage uh, that she did not have a lot of acting experience and a lot of dancing experience when she took on this this role, and it shows. You know, she she sings very quietly. She moves very wooden. It's it's she's the kind of actress that would get the lead role in a high school play. And while that may be the vibe you're going for, it doesn't fit the the tone of the movie because the the movie score a hockey musical. It should be campy. You know, Vanessa Hudgens was like the shy, awkward girl in high school musical. I'm going to go back to high school musical a lot. Vanessa Hudgens was the shy, awkward girl. She was also drop dead gorgeous. And sure. and could belt, you know, she would sing these songs all by herself where she she would belt her face off and like she she could sing and dance and move. And she was charismatic. Allie McDonald's character is so introverted to a fault that we're left wondering why. What is her motivation? What is she trying to get from this relationship? And it's never truly established. Yeah, it's definitely like a selfish motivation. A lot, of, and that's the problem with this too, is that a lot of these characters are just so selfish. Oh, and as God. you said in the video, set in their ways, that there's most of them, except for probably Farley. Even at times, Farley is very dislikable. But almost every other character, except for Moose, is, you just I just don't like them, and I uh, continue Moose. to not like them as the we'll movie look, goes on. We'll go to Moose later, but yeah, yeah, at least in the second song, the stupid love song. The best line of the movie, without question, shows up. Oh, lay it on me. What's your favorite lyric from this? Because this song it has some of Michael McGowan's biggest reaches in terms of, of rhyming. What's, what's your mean, favorite line, Rob? <laughs> when I was five, I threw up on a colony of ants. Followed by the rhyme, Farley once made me laugh so hard that I peed my pants. <laughs> That one's ridiculous because, like, who who's like proud? It's almost like she's proud of that. Like, wouldn't she be like super embarrassed or scarred for peeing in your pants in front of a boy? Like, 
Yeah, what is Just the casual. significance? What is the significance of puking on a colony of ants? By the way, <laughs> what is the significance of that? Like, oh man, where? Oh, I threw up today. Uh, Mom, you'll never guess. I threw up. Oh, where'd you do it, honey? You'll never guess. <laughs> See, I did it in the backyard. Oh, so you did it on the grass? Oh no. <laughs> oh, oh, I no. did. But it was on a colony. I did it on an ant. Oh, all right, just one ant. No, no, it was a colony. <laughs> it was a full colony. What Whoa, makes Daddy. up a colony of ants? Stand back. It's a colony of ants. <laughs> uh, Mac, what's your what's your favorite line from that song? I know the the Puget Pants one is definitely the best. My problem with the song, and this is a problem throughout the whole movie, is that why can't they just hang out in the same house? <laughs> They're literally right next to each other. And even when they're not with each other, they're just knocking each other's windows. Also, where are Eve's parents? Well, she she establishes that her uh dad her parents are divorced. Okay. She says that, so she has one parent, but I agree, yeah, we don't see that one parent anywhere. And of course they voted Never. for Desmond Tutu. Yeah, that my favorite line is the opening one where uh Eve and I have known each other since we were two. And Eve goes, our parents met at a fundraiser for Desmond Tutu. Who is that? De- Desmond Tutu was an African uh, politician, uh, Rob. But like, it's... Was he a good one? Was he like one that would make sense for them to follow? It's one I don't recognize. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Desmond, Desmond Tutu is kind of in like the Nelson Mandela kind of okay. chapter of your history book. Oh, so it was Jordan Tutu. It was most certainly not Jordan Tutu. <laughs> Yeah. If they had met for a fundraiser for Des- for Jordan Tutu, the movie should have stopped. Yeah. But honestly, that would have at least that would have been a hockey reference. Yes. Yeah. So, but but we move on from that song. Thank God. And through the through the first couple of songs, we we've established now that Farley has friends and Farley has uh, a Parents. girlfriend. Uh, and we get to the parents' introduction. The parents are played by Olivia Newton-John and Mark Jordan. Olivia Newton-John, obviously famous for her portrayal of Sandy in the movie Grease with John Travolta. Mark Jordan, a Canadian recording artist who has mostly served as a producer uh, for some really big names. He produced a lot of uh, Cher's work and Rod Stewart. Uh, These are two prominent figures in music. And Casey, yes, may I say something? I just like before we continue, please. It was um, immediately as soon as I met Olivia Newton John in the movie, I want to know why she agreed to do this movie. Yeah, that's the first thing that my dad said too, because Olivia Newton John is obviously a name, right? Yes, I mean, yeah, and And it's Australian. I'll, I'll say this when. I made the score hockey musical review video. Uh, I came downstairs one night and my dad was watching it and he's, I see he's snickering at it and I go, Oh, what, what do you think of the video? And he goes, I can't believe that Olivia Newton, John is in this movie. She made Santa do like she, she was, she was a star. What is she doing in here? I go, yeah, well, uh, if you want, you can borrow my DVD of the movie. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen my parent more visibly disappointed in his son. <laughs> I've lived a very fortunate life where I haven't, I can count the number of times my parents have looked me in the eye and said, Casey, I'm just disappointed in you. 
I, I haven't upset them much in my life. This was a moment where I could clearly see my father had lost a little bit of respect for his son. Wow. That's, that's heartbreaking. Oh. It's a seminal moment, I think, in our relationship. Like, now here's my question. Do you also address your parents as, hello, parents? Hello, parents. Yeah, yeah that's like, that's <laughs> I'm like, who does that? Who just calls their parents parents? Every so that was the first thing. Also, Mark Jordan sings like Bob Dylan, but really he sings like the OK Blue Jays guy. So I'm just wondering if like, that's a Canadian <laughs> thing. He's that like, is, hey, finally. That I is true. See, you sing, man. I'm like, what? What is it with Canadian artists and like just going full Bob Dylan, Paul Simon? That is the worst baseball theme song. OK, but OK, Blue Jays. I think it needs to be said. Too much hockey. Casey, it's OK. It is OK. It's a night game. But like also, like for some reason, the parents specifically, it's a lot of like that. Uh, talk singing from like famous 70s rock musicals like Tommy and Rocky Horror. Well, like they could sing it, but like really they don't have to. That's you that's know? kind of that's yeah. kind of uh, the overall overarching issue with this movie. It's very clear that Michael McGowan wanted to go for a feel that, and he openly acknowledges this in the behind the scenes footage on the DVD that he didn't want this to be a stop the movie, sing a song. Uh, he wanted it to be lyrics that move the plot forward. He's like, he openly acknowledges that these lyrics could have been spoken, but this isn't lame as a Rob. You're not making an operetta. You're making a, you're making score a hockey musical. You're not making now prisoner two, four, six, oh one. Your time is up and over rolls. We got, you know, you're making hockey, hockey, the greatest game. And that's, land. And that's the thing too, is oh, they we'll do a lot there. of that, like, constant note singing where it's just them singing the same note through a whole phrase you know what i mean and like that's just like so it gets so repetitive it's it's the that opening scene as well you're you're trying to establish the mom and dad as characters and they, and they are trying to stop him from going to play pond hockey this is a line that i let go in in the review yeah. uh look at the temperature it's colder than venus You'll get frostbite on your. Hmm, hmm, no, you acknowledged it in the review. I, I no, I acknowledged it, but I didn't acknowledge how nonsensical the phrase "colder than Venus" is. Venus is the <laughs> second planet from the sun. We've met the parents point for like point. We have met the parents for like two minutes. There was one point where we meet the parents for like two minutes without context. They're speaking Russian. Yeah. And it's never addressed. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, we're just trying to establish. Oh, look at this! They they the are. They they speak different languages. They're they're quirky. They they know each other to the point where they can. And like he's homeschooled, so he's hyper intelligent. Uh, but they sing blatant factual errors. They're singing about <laughs> how Venus is is cold when Venus is the second hottest planet. It's a gaseous planet. The whole point is that it's extremely hot. I mean, I don't know. Could you do like Uranus? I mean, that's an easy joke, but you can't really rhyme a lot with it, right? Sorry, is Uranus that less egregious than Venus <laughs> rhyming with with dangling participle? <laughs> uh, like, uh, how much how much worse could it be? 
So and here's know. here's here's another thing that I'll point out in terms of while we're on the subject of the parents because the parents aren't in a lot of the movie but what little they are in are so are such a waste. Uh, they're they're filmed really in the one set. They're filmed in the house. Mm-hmm. And there's a song later in the movie uh, called Hockey the Equation. Oh, my God. Oh, oh I hated God. that song so much. Yeah. So Hockey the Equation, for those who haven't seen the movie, is Farley has gone on to play in his first hockey game. And there was a line brawl, uh, which his parents disapprove of because his parents are pacifists. And they see it as a very barbaric uh, act to get into a hockey fight. And Farley is trying to explain to them that uh, while everyone else is thinking about fighting, he is thinking about hockey, the equation. And the song introduces this notion. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this can be like a neato, like schoolhouse Rocky kind of way of making hockey relatable to the parents. If you really want the parents to get on board with Farley, you can make a quirky little song about, I'm going to take my pass and use the centrifugal force to cycle it up the boards, and then I'm (laughs) going to receive it at a 90-degree angle, lift it up 45 degrees, get it over the glove. And, like, it wouldn't be a good song, but it would be clever. It could be like Bill Nye. Yeah. yeah, you essentially make Bill Nye the song about the physics, uh, like a sports science song about trying to evade a hit, and then you're going to take the puck and you're going to score a goal. But instead you get hockey the equation, hockey the equation, hockey yep. the equation. They repeat that phrase for 45 seconds, and <laughs> the song is over. It doesn't need to be a song. Seconds. It's it literally could have just been spoken. You know, and Olivia Newton-John goes like, that doesn't make sense. Do you want to know why that doesn't make sense? Because hockey is not an equation. It's just as simple as that. Well, that's the, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, it's not a mathematical formula, but you can, if you were to create a kind of metaphor, and this, I understand this would have involved creativity. Uh It would have involved uh, the act of, of forming a poem and and using artistry and right. visualization and characterization, it would have involved literary elements that Michael McGowan was not uninterested in learning. <laughs> uh, but instead, we just get the repetition of hockey, the equation, and it ends with Olivia Newton-John saying the math doesn't make much sense. And Mark Jordan agrees and says, I've never heard such total nonsense. That should be the first verse. To which hockey, excuse me, to which Farley offers a retort, and he doesn't. <laughs> it's, yeah, the problem I, is that there's no beginning, middle, and end to these songs. It's a drive songs just like there's no purpose. They just go nowhere, you know. And like, it's, like it's it's a drive-by singing. Like Biggie Smalls would get shot by the by the songs in this. It's a drive-by. Meow. <laughs> hockey the equation. Hockey yeah. the equation. Pump up full of hockey, the equation. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just, and plates forever. Like, yeah, if this was a theatrical production, like, most of these songs, like, I wouldn't know whether to clap or not, you know? <laughs> like, there's oh no God. succinct end. Dude. Dude. We just wait for I the enjoyed... scene to end and for the lights to go dark, and then we clap. I enjoyed one song, and it was the last one. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. So the over let's let's analyze rather than go scene by scene. Let's just analyze the overall uh, plot of of the movie, because really the plot of the movie is that Farley 
wants to fit in with his hockey team and be accepted despite his being a pacifist. The team wants him to fight, but at the same time, his family and his girlfriend want him to stay true to himself. But and it gets very complicated from it. it. It tries to tell two different stories at once of the small town kid becoming one with the group, but also trying to assimilate the group to him. And there really is no winner at the end of the day because the, the overall plot is resolved by Farley hugging another man to death. And I'm wondering what you guys' thoughts are. Like, how, how do you, what are your overall thoughts? On, I'll start with Rob. How do you how do you synthesize this this plot? I Casey, just to answer one of your you said there's no real winner. Actually, there is one winner. It was the dude who got motorboated by Nelly Furtado after Farley scored six <laughs> seconds into the game. Oh lord! Because <laughs> Nelly Furtado is somehow in this movie for four lines. Why was she motorboating him? Like, what was the point? Because Brampton actually scored a goal for once. You well, did the motor vote, celebration? You, you motor voting son of a bitch. You old sailor, you. Men <laughs> or women, why would you do that as a celebration? <laughs> I asked Nelly Furtado. I guess it came to her in the moment. There's no way the director thought of that. Uh, it's, that's very true. Nelly Furtado was clearly only on set for a day, and they're like, all right, uh, get a few reaction shots. Are you going crazy? Say your four lines. And uh, good, that's a wrap. All right, thanks, Nelly, for coming. Here's your check. Uh, lunch is <laughs> over there on the table. Yeah, Nelly uh, Furtado was there one day. That movie was basically shot in one day. <laughs> it could have been, because they had, like, two sets. They had, like, three they sets. believe in second takes. Yeah. They had, like, the ice rink. They had the house. They had the park. And, like, a couple other places. Yeah, but, yeah, speaking of the park, let's talk about the owner of Brampton. Apparently, he's legally blind without his glasses. That comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and and like it's it's a, almost a setup for a joke. It's and close. It comes close. close. Well, comes, well, here's 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 what should have happened. You know, here's what could have saved you time and effort. Walt should have been there at the first game, you know, or Daryl should have been like a scout for Walt, so that when Farley wins his first game, rather than having some rando in your opening number, you can have the rando reincorporated later in the story uh, by having him go to Walt and say, oh man, you got to see this kid or have Walt watch that game and be like, wow, this, this kid's really something. He just beat that 50 year old man who could have been in the <laughs> NHL uh, according to his song. Uh, but there's no, there's very little inciting action. You don't know why Walt Acorn was in the park that day. What part of town he's even in? Because they hint at the fact that Farley lives in Toronto, but Walt Acorn owns a team in Brampton. Brampton is not close to Toronto, is it? He was was only going to Brampton, not Bosnia. Don't forget that. Right. He'd be home for dinner. And the joke of the movie is... A team called the Devils was in first place right before Farley's first game. The coach is prepping the team in the locker room. He goes, the Devils, they're physical, they're tough, and that's why they're in first place. A team called the Devils is in first place? Sounds nice. Also, and this, the coach, we'll talk about the coach obviously a bit more because there's a lot to say about the coach, but at the end of the movie, he's like, no one respected us or blah, blah, blah. Or like every, I know I actually said everyone respected us. But they were terrible in the beginning of the movie, before Farley joined. Farley made them better, 
And then he leaves and he's like, oh, well, you know, we were a really good team before you were here. It's like, no, you weren't. You yeah. really weren't. Also, they're a junior league team with a coach who, like, doesn't know anything about development and, like, just barks random things at them and has some weird grizzly bear death exposition story. Like, there's so much weird about this coach and just, like, the team in general. And there is a song in, in the movie called Donker's Dilemma. So that just makes it even weirder. Call, called don- Donkers? Yeah, because the coach's name is Donkers. I should have I looked up this song list. I, there's I, a I song sincerely, called Donkers Dilemma. I sincerely don't remember his last name being Donker. <laughs> it might have been his first. It was his first or his last. That sounds like no, Conker's bad for His name is Donkers. Donkers Dilemma. Come to there's Donkers There's a song in this movie us. called Craft Dinner. Baboons, Cra- Dead Cra- and Done, and Eve's a Goddess. These are actual names of songs from this right. movie. Craft Dinner. Craft Dinner is the fight ballet. That's the hot da 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 da. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Can we? Oh, the lottie da da. Also, they steal that from Slapshot. Kind of. They do. Because at the end, he does a ballet when they're fighting. Yes. They steal a lot from Slapshot, obviously. You know, you hockey. can see it. You can see it, honestly. Like there, there's a little teeny bit of slap shot there thrown in every now and then. But the overall problem is with with that is that slap shot was clearly geared towards a mature audience. It's an R-rated movie, mm-hmm. and this movie wants to incorporate R-rated factors. Like they they hint at calling uh, Farley a pansy, and like they call him queer a couple of times, and like and like give him like sequined skates and stuff, and then they. They're calling him a fairy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And like that, they have him go through the rigor. Like he gets like his underwear deal, and like he's <laughs> he's it's it's they promote fighting through the whole movie. Uh, I shouldn't say promote. That's not really the right word. But like it's it's a key factor in the whole movie. Yeah. And these are kind of unpleasant topics to show like a kid. They are. Yeah. But at it's the like same, you're trying to introduce them to hockey, you know, like make them love the sport. Just be yeah, like, yeah, they just all beat each other up. The, 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 promoting hockey to a small child. The, the whole time I was thinking of uh, of my baby cousins, right? Because like I got I got two cousins. One of them's seven. One of them's four. And they're both hockey obsessed. Sure. Uh, they're they're but the four year old is just starting to play now. Uh, the seven year old's been playing for three years. They've seen the Mighty Ducks two a million times, like like every hockey loving kid. Uh, and their mom was like, "Wow, a hockey musical. They probably would love this, right?" And I'm thinking to myself, would they? Because yeah. really, what once you get past the fact that they are hockey players and they are singing, once you get into what they're singing about, and like they there's them taking a leak in the snow, and there's just there's farting and pissing and and beating the snot out of people. It's not something that I would show my little little kid. Yeah, it's like it's too crass for kids, but it's also too juvenile for adults. Yes, you know? exactly. It doesn't quite hit the right uh, te- audience at all. It hits a South Park. It hits a South Park, basically, at that point. Because, like, it really doesn't target any audience. It's just, let's be, in a moment like that, it's like, let's just be as offensive as possible. But, yeah. like, if it, I would understand, there's also a moment where the movie is very self-aware of what it is. There's a moment in uh, 17, the, the the song in the museum between uh, Farley and Eve, uh, where uh, Eve convinces Farley to go out and join the hockey team. 
And the final line of the song is 17. I'll probably like it a lot. Yeah, you're 17. Why not give it a shot? And we'll do it so we can advance the plot. And I'm thinking to myself... Plot. 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 I'm thinking to myself, so they're aware they're in a movie. It's the only self-aware joke of the entire movie. It's yeah, the only it's... time they ever acknowledge, like, we're going to advance the plot, plot, plot. And, like, you'd think... If the movie was all self-aware, if it was all a parody of itself, right. maybe this could be funny. And it's so bewildering <laughs> why they chose to left, leave that in the final product of the movie. Yeah, because you with these movies, you either have to be, like, very meta, like, you know, Deadpool or something like yes. that. A lot of that, like, you know, addressing the audience or just don't do it at all, you know? It, it can't be like either or, and even like some of the cameos in the movie are like the same, where they're like oh. acknowledging that these are like real people in real life and stuff. As dumb as the cameos are, like that's still like drawing back the curtain a bit on reality. Honestly, the owner of Bre- the the owner, Acorn, li- nails it perfectly just before that song is sung, but it sums up the song perfectly. That song laid a giant turd in the shallow end of the stupid pool. It's my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> that's that's a great one. My favorite is the uh, cut the umbilical cord line. Yeah, where, where eventually we all have to cut the umbilical cord uh, when Eve is in 17. All the worst lyrics are given to the Farley and Eve songs. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, to be fair, some of the like the Acorn songs are not that good either, like the Acorn and Coach. But those, they're like those are few and far between, you know. And the the Coach, uh, since we brought up the Coach, the Coach seems like the kind of character from like he reminds me of the Coach from Goon Two, The Last of the Enforcers, uh, which which is not a great movie, but no. at least the the Coach of that movie is is really high strung, uh, like a, a supposed to be a kind of uh, Bruce Boudreaux, John Tortorella kind of takeoff where like he screams at the kids and like he, he, and there's a moment in Goon 2 where the coach skates out to center ice and like trips over his own skates and he looks down at the ice and goes, ice is shit, fix it. <laughs> and, like, he, he blames the guys and it's a funny line. And like this coach like wants to be that character of like an exasperated uh, head coach and they don't give him enough. And honestly, uh, this is a really good character for them to bounce off of. You've got the enforcer stereotype, the coach stereotype. Everything is in place for this to work. And I, I'm failing to to put my yep. finger on it. The problem is really in the protagonist. They have no protagonist to conf- to have a conflict with. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be Farley, technically. Yeah. No, I know. I'm I'm saying that Farley isn't a strong enough character for them to really butt heads with. Because Farley eventually falls in line with what they want. And they're like, it's not good enough. It's not good enough to be a good hockey player. You have to fight. And then he drops the gloves and he's really great at it. And then he quits the team and the team's like, oh, well, you still have to fight. Here's my thing. Why is he so good at fighting? Yeah. Because he's like, he's like a master, like, but like. He never, like, his parents never allowed him to do it. He probably never did it on the ice. And all of a sudden, he just comes off, like, you know, just throwing jabs like he's Mike Tyson or something. He said it in the beginning of the movie. There's no place for violence, especially in sport. Like, you just... It It doesn't doesn't make any sense that, like, he's actually good at fighting 
And he even throws in a couple, like, jabs at the end. Like, is there a darkness within, like, Farley? Like, it feels like that scene in Fight Club where, like, Edward Norton is just beating down Jared Leto. And then he throws in an extra few punches. Like, is there a darkness to him that we just aren't addressing? I... I'd like to. I know it's probably not, but like that would be funny, right? If he was like secretly like, and actually was like a you know a bad person, you know. But like it comes down to what Casey said. They they had it set up to where they could make the coach that kind of character, and they gave the trainer the better lines. <laughs> they gave the trainer the better lines. Like Farley's in the locker room trying on his gear for the first time. He puts the cup to his face. Like, is this right? And the trainer dropped one of the best lines of the movie. Not just <laughs> <Mr>. dickface. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, it's, and again, that's that's so juvenile that, like, you probably get a bunch of 12-year-olds tittering at that, going, <laughs> he said dick, <laughs> But, like, anyone over a pubescent age is going to go, oh, God. Uh, Are you kidding me? I left my ass off. Well, I think that was only because of the contrast of this. This movie was such a Sahara Desert barren wasteland of comedy that like at the first idea, because that actually had a setup punchline. Like there, there's there's a joke being told and there are no other jokes told in the movie. The only other time I really genuinely laughed is uh, when, during the fight scene the first time in the line brawl uh, when Moose is like lightly brushed on the sleeve by, <laughs> by the guy. He turns around with like a wild look, punches the dude in the face, turns the turns to the camera, goes, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny because that that's what this movie should have been. You you take you you have the blades learn something from Farley, and rather than have like the the another slap shot or another goon where like we're glorifying fighting, have them learn the error of their ways and learn to actually enjoy the beauty of the game. Have them learn hockey the equation, <laughs> and have them actually enjoy the the greatest game in the land rather than just beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> also, just can we talk about that fight for a sec? The aftermath and how well. First of all, the fact that like that punch just the fight starts off that quickly. You know what I mean? Like, everyone just starts throwing hands. Which is hilarious. It's hilarious, though. And then, afterwards, there's no penalties, right? No. no. The, the box is not filled up. And then the, the, this guy, who just started, was the, the catalyst for the first fight, has the nerve to tell the ref, eat my rectal cheese, and doesn't get anything. He just lets them go off. Well, like, that would actually happen. words don't hurt anybody. But like the ref is probably already pissed off because they delayed the game by this much, and this guy's just gonna tell him to eat his rectal cheese. Like you could tell a ref like shut up, and he'll he'll be flag you or something. You know, like this it's ridiculous. These refs are soft. I well, these, you know what's crazy? this movie needed Wes McCauley. Yeah, for it, real. It, it, oh, that, that's some comedy. That's some comedy. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. But you know what's crazy? We've only discussed the first half of the movie, and we haven't even met Marco yet. Oh yeah, I was gonna say we have to discuss Marco very soon. Okay. I can't hold so then, back. Then, then let's talk about Marco. Marco is introduced at the about the, the thirty-minute mark of the movie. Uh, they they talk about Marco in the first scene, but we don't see him. And uh, true to the Stanislavski uh, method, you can't have a gun in the third act that you don't establish in the first act. <laughs> so they establish Marco in the first act, and then you want to put a gun to your head because instead. <laughs> 
you get this lost Italian stereotype. Is it's a me, a Marco. Yeah, he's very Olive Garden Italian. Olive Garden really Italian does. is the perfect way to describe him because he comes in, tries to seduce Eve. It, yeah. You know what I'm just the realizing? First shot? Is, is he wearing sequins in the first shot? I don't know. The first shot is him playing the piano, stop, and then he has an orgasm while he finishes. <laughs> like, do you know the, that face he makes is just like, oh, this is for you, you know? As the house Italian here, I can say they really <laughs> stereotyped the shit out of Italians here. Oh you, oh, you don't say. You don't say. The guy who talks like this uh, the whole time, you think that's stereotype, huh? I wish they like gave into it even more. Like when Farley addresses him as like Marco, and then like he's, he, I wish he had Never said Polo. So. I wish <laughs> he had said Polo when he when he said Marco. He, he uh, Marco has one line where he goes, "She rejected me like a like a wine from the box, like a wine from the box." <laughs> oh yeah. No, I and I told you that before. And I thought I wrote, Marco clearly has never been to college. Uh, but... <laughs> I wrote the most lines about that scene in particular. Like, for example, he starts off talking about um, he specifically her G string playing. Now, maybe that's an innuendo. Maybe it's not. But wait, the fact that he pointed out the G string. I heard that the second time and I immediately went to where Mac just said. Okay, I've seen this movie. I'm not joking. I've probably seen it about seven or eight times. That's too many. That's times too And I, I, I must have glossed over that line. Can, can you repeat the rephrase it for the context for me? He like after she, they finished their little duet. Okay. He goes, oh, you know, you're you're impeccable. You know, your G string playing. You know, like something along those lines. Yeah. Like it's obviously supposed to be a musical thing, but like I think it, it could have been taken as innuendo. You know. Yeah. Because he is that like just so hypersexual of a character. He's. I'm at a loss for words. Oh, Casey, I'll keep you at a loss for words. Because let's not forget, let's go like an hour into the movie. Okay. After Far- like Farley like had just completed his first fight or whatever. Sure. They're on the bus with his parents. It's Eve, Farley, and his parents. Farley talks about how he doesn't like the fighting. It's not why I play. And his father comes barreling in like, Farley. That's like saying the KKK are a swell bunch of people, except for their views on African Americans. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that was. So, so that that's your lesson, kids. If you play hockey and enjoy fighting, congratulations. Grab your hood. Grab your torch. There's a rally in Charlottesville. You're in the KKK. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that Canadian audience really got that joke. <laughs> this movie's from 2010. Yeah, like. I mean, the KKK was still bad, but. Listen, all, Moose is just out here trying to make America great again, and and <laughs> it's just not working. Make Canada great again. Uh, <laughs> all right, so back to, just back to Marco for a bit, because there's that whole scene. First of all, the actor who plays Marco is 32 when the movie no. came. Out. No, no, Eve was 22. Well, That's I knew, right I knew there, even Noah. Discrepancy. Al, Ali McDonald and Noah Reed clearly look like they're above a high school age. Yeah, Mark they were 32. They did a terrible yes. job. Yes. 32. Also, and it's weird because he's actually a classically trained, like, pianist, but he do- he doesn't sound that good. 
Well, he's right? he's intentionally kind of crappy because like okay. when he sings the Dan Hill song, uh, <laughs> because the the one of the central points of the movie is that Marco starts singing. Uh, you ask me if I love you, and I will always reply. It's ironically the best song in the movie because Michael McGowan didn't write it. Uh, and he's like intentionally a bad singer. He's like melodramatic on the keys. So like he is intentionally hamming it up at that point. Uh, why does he why does he not sing an Italian song? Like he literally sings an English song. And Eve gets it. If he sung like any Italian song that like wasn't too popular, like not Ave Maria, like she wouldn't know what it is, and he might have swooned her. Here's right? a here's a ragazzo for uh, my principessa. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a miracle. Today is gonna be the day that the gotta come back to you. <laughs> Yeah, Casey, dropping some subtle references to our time at Marist. Not like we were referencing anyone yo, specific. Yo, that is true. There was one kid that we knew in uh, our college choir who legit told a girl that he wrote Wonderwall. That's he's, incredible. He's like, here's a song I wrote. Enjoy. Today is going to be the day that I'm going to come back to you. And he got with the girl. And Please it was, tell me. It's, <laughs> it yeah, Robert. Was- yeah, no, it worked. That's like, he was like the stereotypical like guy with a guitar in like the lobby, and girls would swoon over him. Like the first, the like the first humor, thing. If you've ever seen the college humor skit, how to how to learn guitar well enough to get you laid, like that <laughs> that was that was this kid. That's incredible. I love it. Yeah, uh, it's, listen, do whatever works, I guess. You know, shoot cause... your shot, do whatever works. Look, he he didn't have enough going for him in the looks department, so I guess he's yeah. got to resort to abject trickery. So I yeah. love it. I embrace it. it. I love it. Of all the ways like, that you can trick a woman, I guess that's the least harmful. Supposedly, mm. and that's what Marco tried to do, and like Farley caught them in the act, and somehow like they didn't notice Farley. Like wasn't that weird? Like he literally walked up a like a bunch of stairs. It was literally like right behind them. I didn't understand just, where they were. I didn't hmm? understand that, but it's yeah. like a lot of the locations are never clearly established, really. Like when when they're in the museum, oh, where yeah. it's is it Let's that Eve works there? Uh, where why are they in the museum? Why are they upstairs in this attic? Um, and Mar- Marco hit a ground ball and he was thrown out at first. What? <laughs> Well, Mar- Marco forcibly gra- Marco essentially thrusts himself into the Me Too movement by grabbing <laughs> Eve and kissing her on the mouth, and Eve reacts as any woman would with Marco. Yeah, she didn't uh, really. You gonna get your passport lot. stamped first? Like she should have done. She could have reacted yeah, a little bit more she, like offended. Which she is, like, is that yeah. racist that she goes? You're gonna get your passport stamped first? Is she saying that Marco needs a visa? Marco needs a yeah, green card. You you gonna French me without getting your passport stamp first? Wow, damn! Marco, a legal alien. This movie is, is is movie is really addressing deeper themes. We're just not looking into it as much. We shouldn't. This movie like has a conflict that is settled so easily that in the second act it wants to drag it out so long, and we're left wondering what the last twenty minutes are all about because. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Farley fights and quits the team. 
but he's good at fighting. So if he and he's uh, the be- the best player. So if he goes back to the team and says, "Hey guys, uh, listen, I've changed my mind. I'm not gonna fight. But if you keep protecting me, we're gonna win some hockey games." And they'll be like, "Hey, you know what? Wayne Gretzky never fought. Uh, Mario Lemieux never fought. Uh, Sidney Crosby never fought. Uh, Connor McDavid never fought. Uh, yeah, this could work." Uh, Eve rejects Marco. So if he goes up to Eve and goes, "Hey, I saw Marco kissed you." What's the deal with that? She goes, oh, yeah, that was crazy. He forced himself on me. That was really weird. We should press charges. Great. Problem solved. Uh, That'd be too politically correct. Well, I mean, she still, tech- she still told him Yeah. in a sense. But, this and movie- he still was, but he still had to wait for Marco's approval to be like, oh, I guess she didn't do it. The last 20 minutes are so drawn out that we're left in this empty rink where Walter Gretzky and Theo Fleury appear as ghosts, even though they're not dead. <laughs> right, here's my question. Here's my question. How does he n- not know who Sidney Crosby is, but he knows who Walter Gretzky is? That's a good point. That's a, That's a good point. Now here's, and here's also my theory for this whole cameo, stupid ghosting. First of all, just my first thing. Why do most hockey movies feel the need to shoehorn in these cameos? Like, most of these hockey movies have, like, just forced cameos out of nowhere. Well, there, you know there what I mean? Like, few, they're not even good cameos, for the there most are, part. There are a few cameos in this. Obviously, Nelly Furtado is one. Uh, George Strombopoulos is one, as he plays the uh, the broadcaster. Uh, Walter Gretzky is one. Theo Fleury is one. Uh, this movie does try to shoehorn in, like, a couple of different cameo appearances. You are right. And Walter Gretzky says his two lines. Theo Fleury sings his line, which What's Theo Fleury, Theo Fleury has like a country folk band in Canada. Fun fact. That's incredible. Yeah. What can't he do, damn it? <laughs> to quote the movie, what can't he do, damn it? Well, so in that, in that final scene that I want to talk about that scene in particular, because it's the worst shot scene in the entire movie. Absolutely. Um, in every other scene, there were clearly multiple camera angles used. And like the, the Farley Eve reunion song, the camera is like circling around them, circling around them. And like you get dizzy, but at least it's it's an artistic choice. Yeah, that was but, like the closest to like high school musical. Like, you know what I mean? Like in terms yeah. of like the way it's framed and all of that and the yeah. way it's sung. The, the song, The Code, where the the guys are all singing in the locker room, it only has two lock, uh, camera positions, but at least you can see everything. In the song with Theo Fleury and Walter Gretzky, the camera is positioned at the top of the rink. Like, it's got this aerial view of the ice where these ghosts of people that we never see up close so we don't know who they are. I have a theory. I have a theory. I, I, I See, my theory is that it's Once Upon a September or once upon a December and like it's Anastasia and like she, he's just seeing ghosts of hockey players from centuries past that have all been killed in the Bolshevik revolution. (laughs) I, I, mine's similar. I think it's all the people that are featured in the prologue and all those videos with the O Canada, like the, like, cause they're old videos, you know, and they've all come back to life to, you know, sort of encourage Farley. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. but why do they move in such slow motion? And why does because Farley's, they're old. Farley they're is in gross. a like different position. Farley's like while he's talking to Walter Gretzky, he's like clearly by the bench. And then you cut to this aerial view, and he's like at center ice. 
and there's no Walter and no Theo. There is, this was, I would not be shocked if this was the last thing they shot in the entire movie because it is shot so haphazardly and without purpose that I'd, I'd be curious to know if this was the purpose, last thing they it's, it's so clearly shot without purpose. Mm. Uh, overall, I'll, I'll ask you a general question. I'll start with you, Rob. What was your favorite song in the whole movie? The last one. It was at least catchy. I mean, it, like, you gotta, it, it starts with an on-ice therapy session. You, you know, it, he dodges the punches and then just hugs it out. And he refuses to not stop hugging him until they refuse to stop fight, until they agree to stop fighting. Which, way to make peace. And then, of course, you just get it. Then, of course, once it's all solved, the game actually plays about for four seconds. Farley scores a goal, naturally, on the poorest defense and goaltending, like D2. And then you get hockey. Hockey, the greatest game in the land. And also... Who thinks to shoot this shit on ice? <laughs> well, I mean, you have to. It's a hockey musical. Who the hell thinks this was a good idea when not everyone is on skates? There's three lines of choreography that I, like, accounted. And everyone else in the back is just standing there waving. And they have all these people in the crowd. Like, there's no one on the ice if you really think about it. Like, they could have put a lot more people and at least filled it up so it felt more like, you know, the end of, like, we're all in this together high school musical style. But they're just three lines of people doing okay dance choreography, and then just a bunch of random people in the back waving. Like, it doesn't make any sense. That is yes. true. In, 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 the, in the final song, you can point out, like, a random person in the back of the crowd. First off, it's very clear that there is not one unified choreography that they should all be doing because some people have skates, some people don't. And people are clearly just making stuff up as they go about their choreography. Whereas in high school musical, you can pick out any corner of the screen and everyone is moving in, in unison and giving their all every, you can point out any single person in the ensemble and they are moving with precision and with tact and, and with energy. I guess the cast of score was not all in this together. Hmm. Hey. The whole film was not in this together. <laughs> there were ten different writers on this film. It's, it's at least the song was catchy. That's why it's my favorite overall. It was sort song. of catchy, but it had a little something to that, it. That song, when I was done editing uh, my review, that song was stuck in my head the entire day at work, and it was my least favorite day that I've ever spent on this earth. <laughs> Yeah, because like none of the other songs are really catchy, you know. Yeah, like, I've experienced, I've experienced deaths in the family that were that were more tolerable than having that song stuck in my head the entire day. Like the code, like is a good song, like kind of, but like it's not. It doesn't really catch anything, right? There's no like real chorus. It's the greatest game in the land. The code no, is the my code favorite. Simply. The code is my favorite song in the uh, entire thing because of the potential of what it could be. Yeah, you know, that's fair. can I just briefly interject? A song that no one really thinks about, but is my favorite, is when Farley's doing the marketing campaign and you just hear that little interjecting "Seduce Them All" song. You know what I'm talking about? No. No. Where, the, where he'll do like some like it will like when, if he'll have like when he has his meeting with like Brody Van Wagenen 
or like he's trying to get the poster together. And they're just like, they were just, he would just be walking around and there'd just be like the song that just goes, seduce them all. Like literally, like it's a two second thing. And it's hilarious because they do it like three <laughs> times in a row. Casey, do you have any idea what he's saying? No, I, I know of what he said. That it's the equivalent of in the Mighty Ducks 2 sure. when they go to Rodeo Drive and they're seeing like the models and the song in the background that's playing is Here it is. Yeah, Here that's, it it's is. similar to that. It's the goofy that is the goofiest moment in cinema, if we're really <laughs> But when Farley comes in, Farley comes in, like his parents are going, is it possible we were wrong about sports? And Farley comes in in this in this onesie, in this unitar. <laughs> and goes, just like, nope. And like, no, the look that Farley's mom gives, Olivia Newton-John like brings down her glasses. It is like she wants to do her son. <laughs> I swear to God. Oh, I swear <laughs> to God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is like that like the interjecting also this isn't song related but in, just in terms of interjecting you guys notice like in that one scene where they were doing like the batman transitions like no. the 60s batman it's like a quick graphic thing and it was so out of place in the movie matt catches these little things that you and i don't see casey and it's just phenomenal it's true because in the first part of the movie there are a lot of editing uh transitions and stuff that are that contribute to the idea that this is a joke movie like mm. when he throws up on the colony of ants you <laughs> get a bunch of animated ants crawling across the screen and you think to yourself this is this is a joke this this is a farcical movie to add on to that what is up with eve's flowers are those like real flowers i don't like her giant flowers that she just holds the whole time? Yeah, can we talk about this little contraption that they had on their windows? Like, you just pull a string and it knocks on their window? It does seem like something that you would outgrow. Like, yeah. And also, what? that, that could be a 24-7 thing. I could be sleeping and I'm getting this knock on my window from my neighbor, like... Oh, imagine during, like, the... Tra- imagine if, like, you were next to Casey and it was during the trade deadline... Just every two seconds. Listen, <laughs> listen that, that that is true because honestly, I can't even say anything because whether you can tap on the window or not, I can't tell you the amount of times that after midnight, Rob will text me with some random thing that he saw on the television. <laughs> where like, yeah, Casey, you would not believe this the SpongeBob episode that I saw tonight. I'm like, this yeah, I would I that. would believe it. I've seen them all hundreds of times. <laughs> But have you just, seen it again? Or le- he'll, he will... Uh, you are forever thankful for me. He is, he, would be way different if I didn't exist. No, that's that's absolutely true, and I love you to death. But <laughs> there are moments where Rob will text me something, and it's without context. Oh, there's a great story for that one. That's what I was, that's what I was referencing. Well, there will be... Moments where, like, the first time you text me in a long time will be something like, oh, my God, I hate this. And I'll have to ask you, what do you hate? Why do you hate it? What, what are we talking about? Please provide context. And I, know context it's, I know it's entrapment because Rob's just luring me into the conversation. Like, <laughs> all right, I'm in. Yeah, it's like when you, start a, when you start a conversation with a question. Like, the other person has to answer, right? You know? 
Well, the the ultimate in Rob texting me is that uh, <laughs> I was on vacation once, and I I've told this story to you two plenty of times. I was on vacation once, and I and it was the summer of that's uh, what I was referencing with the like trade. Tw- it's yeah. like 2013. Baby. It was it was this it was the summer of 2014 because the Rangers signed Dan Boyle. Uh, and I remember uh, I was like I knew that was gonna happen, and like the Rangers were gonna make like one of the move. And I'm like, listen, Rob, if the Rangers sign someone to text me, I'm at the beach. I'm going to be away from my phone for about an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, so just text me if the Rangers sign anyone or if like the the, the earth crashes into the sun. Uh, <laughs> I, I would like to know if I'm about to die. 47 uh, text messages later. I come back to my phone after an hour and a half. There are 47 <laughs> on messages. And the, the last thing I said was, I'm away from my phone. Don't call me. Uh, and Rob, Rob, Rob goes, got it. He, he sends me three text messages in a row once I get back to my phone saying, you would not believe it. The Devils signed Michael Ryder. <laughs> and then I called him about Martin Havlett. Yeah, and then you called me saying, Casey, the Devils signed Marty Havlett. I pick up the phone. I go, Rob, what was the last thing I texted? <laughs> you said, don't call me. I said, bingo, and hung up the phone. <laughs> it's not my proudest moment, but like. <laughs> it had to be done. It had to be done. I, no, yeah, it wasn't my proudest moment either. Now, Look, that's, now, that's understandable, but like, yeah. Transitioning back to the movie uh, and unpleasant conversations. When we're talking, we're talking about Eve and Farley, right? And like how like they do their, their whole communication. And then they finally speak face to face, Right. They have like that conversation about like after like he finds Marco and all that. And after they, you know, start bickering, she finally notices his cologne and like just turns the conversation sour, even though they probably were having this conversation for like a half an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like literally he says something like, oh, I'm playing hockey again or whatever else. And she's like, oh, your cologne is making my allergies. I'm like. How did you just notice this? She has a severe fragrance allergy, Mac. Yeah, and then, Mac. And then, like, but she notices it like 30 minutes in. Like, well, he's been wearing the cologne. I mean, he and forgot. And then she's like, oh, you forgot like, my birthday. Just like he forgot her birthday. And honestly, that I'm surprised that wasn't strike three. Like, that's the end of the relationship here. Like, I want to I talk about how. You can't forget the girl's birthday. But that started with the parents, right? That started with him saying his parents aren't cool, right? That's what started the whole thing. Yeah, when Eve thought he was gonna confess her love, his love to her, and he, it was just about his parents being lame. It's the whole thing stems from this idea that Farley has become an overnight sensation, and I understand why he would become popular. But the fact that he's getting endorsed, Connor McDavid didn't get endorsed until he was in the National Hockey League, and I don't care how hockey crazed Canada is. I don't, how did the fame get to his head this quickly in this bus league that he's playing in? <laughs> he's not playing in one of the major junior leagues. Moose is clearly a 40-year-old man. All right? he's. There are guys on that team that are clearly, like, about to collect an AARP check. Yeah, they're literally talking about, like, leaving and starting a family in junior leagues. <laughs> how old are you? Like Farley, I believe they say is it, it, well. They sing a whole song about how he's seventeen. So You're like, yeah, he's seventeen. Yeah, he's he's eligible for the draft. But how old is Moose? Are you trying to tell me that Moose is under twenty years old? 
How old is the goalie who looks like Ryan Miller? It's like he's 60. The the goalie... The goalie is the worst dancer I've ever seen. And singer. Like, he was fine as an actor, but when he started singing, I'm like, stop. Just stop. Please. Ryan Miller, please stop singing. You know what this movie needed, regardless that it's Canadian for their goaltender? Ilya Brizgalo. That's what they needed. All right. If... If this movie was Briz, a hockey musical, that's a completely different movie. It'd be a I better would, movie. I would, I would see that ten times over. Don't even um, need a script. No. It's all improv. It's all Briz. The all Briz. universe is humongous big, and humongous big is the universe. Yeah, like it's a great song. I, I would see that movie. For real. But, like, like also, you're talking about the coverage. Like, why? Do, how do they have a TV network covering this team? Because it's Canada. But it's juniors. You know what I mean? It's like, still Canada. They can only, and it's like a, it, 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 they try and make it out like TSN is, like, covering them. You know? Like, the biggest news network is covering this team. Canada, man. I I don't understand. Uh, let let me let me pose a question to you too. All right, let's 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 say that Michael McGowan hops onto this this Skype call that we're having right now. All right, oh, I would love that. Michael McGowan comes on, and, and I here's where I will give Michael McGowan credit. It is not easy to write and direct your own movie and produce uh, and produce. So. Michael McGowan clearly bit off a huge, huge bite of this of this really crappy pie that he baked for himself. And like on the one hand, you're like, congrats on baking the pie, but also the pie tastes terrible. <laughs> so I'll ask you, if you could give one piece of constructive criticism to Michael McGowan, what, w- what would you say to him? I'll start with you, Mac. I would just say simplify things. Like your tr- Michael McGowan and this team was just trying to do too much. They're trying to incorporate too many themes, too many cliches, too many characters, too many storylines, plot lines. For a movie like this, just simplify it. You know, like, you know, focus on the characters that matter. Make the songs tell a story, have a beginning, a middle, and end, have a melody. You know, just those simple things. Like, even if they're not good songs, like, they're still songs, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, just really keep things focused especially when you're doing a movie like this where it's like what you said like 25 days of shooting that's not a long, that's not a whole lot of time you know like high school musical go back to it you know like even if you know people have certain problems with it like, especially uh, if like if you you can't have uh, a 25 day shoot in which you're filming a song a day there's like yeah. 25 different song sequences in this movie yeah you don't need that first of all you don't need that many yeah, so like I, I see what you're saying with simplify. Just have like eight songs. Yeah, that's yeah. eight. I'd say like ten minimum is usually a good number. There were and times in this movie I was like, wait, why is there a song here? Yeah, this is the time nor the place for a song. Yeah, and and that can be a problem sometimes with musicals in general. It's just like feeling like you're cramping in songs, especially with like jukebox musicals where you have a certain amount of songs you want to feature, and you kind of have like these quick scenes of dialogue and then you lead to it. But at least those scenes of dialogue for the most part have a beginning, a middle and end and a setup, right? 
So you can yeah. kind of understand why there's a song. Even if you don't, if even if the song doesn't make sense for it, you understand why a song is inserted there. Yeah. Agreed, Mr. Mr. DeLuca. All right. The focus group now turns to you, the head of the focus group turns to you with her clipboard and goes, okay, Mr. DeLuca, you just saw the movie score, a hockey musical. We're going to release it into theaters uh, pretty soon, but we wanted to get your take. Uh, what, if you could, if you could just fix one thing, just one thing about this movie. Would you like to tell us here take more than 25 fucking days to shoot this damn thing <laughs> well okay in extra takes do more work you have six million dollars to work with <laughs> take longer than a month take extra takes Believe in the movie. <laughs> if only we could all have that advice for movies. Believe, man. Believe. You gotta believe. <laughs> Angels on the ice rink. Come on, man. Rob is a motivational speaker. I believe. I believe. I believe in the movie. You gotta believe in score. Believe in Farley. That is true, though. Like, I, I can totally see where you're coming from because there's a fundamental lack of understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, what I would say to Michael McGowan, honestly, is, A, hire a lyricist because others <laughs> are atrocious. Um, yeah. Like, hi, hire professional musicians to handle your music. Take your hands out of that pot. And let someone else handle it. And while you're focusing on something else other than the music, really hone in on what your demographic is. Because, and that comes to, with simplifying, it comes with taking the extra time to get the tone of the scene right and reshoot it. I, I, I would redesign this movie for a G audience. This, this could be a slam dunk high school musical kind of movie where like you show it to anyone in elementary school and middle school, you could have it be the kind of thing like the mighty duck. The mighty ducks is uh, the kind of movie that every kid is raised on, but it's still kind of a boring movie. It's like not that gripping. Like I, uh, I don't know about boring. It's definitely not a good movie. Let's be real. It's not that great. But, like, there's a lot of scenes of, like, Emilio Estevez and his crusty old boss talking about, <laughs> like, legal agreements and when can I get back to work and you have to you have to fulfill community service. And I'm not saying that, like, that's – it's obviously in service of the plot, but it's all things that a kid – a kid just wants to see, you know, the Mighty Ducks play hockey – and, and become good and, like, fall down on the ice and stuff. They, they want to see camp. Uh, mm -hmm. so I can see how the Mighty Ducks 1, at least, would be, would be boring to a kid. Mighty Ducks 2 has a lot more, you know, goofy antics, practice on the ice, new characters, uh, a clear, an intro, a fun villain. Uh, three bar. Yeah, it, it has that exciting three bar <laughs> sequence. This movie needed, like, a clear antagonist. Mm -hmm. I would have it so that, like, you play that guy he fights at the end. Have him fight him at the beginning of the movie. And yeah, that's like, true. Like, he just came out of nowhere, really. Like, that's yeah. such a bad conflict resolution. Because, like, the guy just accepts it. The whole team accepts it. Like, oh, he hugged me. Okay, cool. We're done. All right, sounds good. Yeah. 
have make like a a John Scott kind of character where like he's you know he's he's the villain he's the guy you want to take down like having Milan Lucic be in the movie where like in Goon again in Goon there was a clear dragon display mm-hmm. have Farley like convince someone else on another team to join his side uh make the songs uh give them a verse and a chorus uh and and really gear it to be sillier uh remove the profanity you remove the overzealous violence and like have it be like well kids no we we don't want to necessarily want to fight it's not a referendum on fighting but like at the same time, you want to show that like anyone can play hockey is for everyone. You know, if you want that to be your message, go for it. Mm-hmm. But like the, this movie tries to take itself too seriously, and it's the ultimate failing. Yeah, it needs to embrace the camp. And what's funny is that like when you talk about the scene specifically towards the end, where like it takes itself too seriously, like for all its credit, as boring as they are, like those are some of the better shot scenes. When like Farley's off on himself and he's like walking through the city and all that stuff. They actually put like effort into like the cinematography, even if it's not the best. You know what I mean? Like, if you're gonna do that for that scene, why not put more into the other scenes? That's like, true. have a a set tone, have a set approach. Don't Here's, just keep trying. Don't experiment all over the movie. Here's another yeah. thing that I'll say from a, from a musical standpoint, and Mac, you can back me up on this as someone who studied musicals for a long time as well. What's something that like at an emotional moment or like a, a the second act of a musical? What do you almost always have in any musical? You have a reprise, right? You mm-hmm. ha- you have a through line of the main motif that you want to reprise. Have the last song of the movie show up again earlier in the movie. You know, have have when Farley first joins the team, have him sing about hockey, hockey, it's the greatest game in the land, and then have the finale be the reprise of that. You know, if you really want it to be, my name is Farley Gorin, and I don't like to fight. Have a clean game tonight. Like it's, just, you really want to have that be like his introduction and his finale. That at least puts a nice little bow on the whole situation, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I, no, I agree. And it kind of it it it, ra- it helps round things up. It puts things in a new perspective, like the reprises, like whether it's development or a realization of something they did wrong or something they could have done better. Like that's where that's where like a reprise comes in because it's you know. When you think about movies and scores, you think about motifs and certain themes being reincorporated at, at a later time to connect. There is no connectivity with the movie, you know? Proud Canadians and fighting every day. We are proud Canadians and fighting every day. We are proud Canadians and fighting Hockey, hockey, the greatest game in the land. Yay! Repeat stuff. Repeat stuff. Repeat stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, it comes down to, like, if we're gonna, I think now is a good time to get to overall reactions to this movie. Absolutely. My overall reaction to this would be the brief thirty-second scene from Seinfeld, where George Costanza is like, "How is Ted Danson better than me?" <laughs> and Jerry's like, "He's somebody. You're nobody." And George's like, I'm just as good as he is. And Jerry's like, you're worse. Much, much worse. That's this <laughs> movie talking to score other movies. <laughs> score is trying to be. Score is trying to be George saying they are just as good, if not better. And we the people are saying you are worse. 
much, much worse. What does the Mighty Ducks have that I don't? <laughs> You're worse. <laughs> much, much worse. That's a good point. That uh, is my overall reaction to this movie. <laughs> Rob, would you recommend this movie to anyone, anyone in particular? No. <laughs> no. I wouldn't. No, not at all. Not as so- not for someone who appreciates hockey, not for somebody who appreciates musicals. Neither of them. Because this movie, the the last line in my notes from watching this thing is it's over. Thank God that sucked. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny, me and Rob were talking about this before, like seeing it a second time was worse than the first. Much because we knew what was coming. We knew what was coming. At least with the first one, there's the element of surprise and you don't know what's gonna happen next. The second viewing, I don't know, Casey, I don't know how you've gotten through this movie eight times. It's like yeah. has it gotten worse every time? Has it gotten worse? Yeah. It's it's so, so phenomenally bad the first time that to see it, like, it, honestly, the only way I got through some of the subsequent viewings is because I was showing other people. <laughs> oh, okay. Got but it. Like, so you're, wait, you're like, you're, you're the thrill of showing other people yeah, made so, it better. You're when watching I was them some watch my it. other friend, When I was showing some of my other friends for the first time, yourself included, Matt, like, the part of the joy was derived from, like, watching other people's mouths agape. Whereas like, and then I watched it like twice on my own, once so I could edit the damn thing for for my video. And the first time I saw it at all was was when I watched it on my own. And the more you watch it, the more numb you get to it. It's not so much that you're like you get a reaction out of you, but it's like this may as well happen. Uh, it, this, go ahead and do it to me. It's fine. Literally torture me. That's how I felt re-watching this today prior to tonight's show. Is, you know what? I saw it once. Now torture. I guess I'm in the mood for self-torture. Bring it on. All right. Uh, well, it's the original name for the segment was Sports and Movies, S&M. So that's <laughs> kind of a fitting metaphor for what this movie kind of is. It is all sadomasochistic. Uh, Mac, would you, Mac, would you recommend this movie mm-hmm. to anyone? I mean, I can't say I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. I would just be like, hey, are you in for a bad movie? Like, strap in for a bad movie. Like, you know, maybe pregame, maybe, like, get something together. I mean, there's there's a rare group of us. The of score hockey, kids. The drinking game. There's a rare group of us, we, as we, you know, self-title ourselves, the theater kids who sport, who may appreciate both sides. It's literally you and Casey. That's true. I mean, there, there are other people. There, there are other people, but it's very few and far between. But even them, I don't even know, because like it's camp. It's if you're in for some campy romp fun, because it's not as like it doesn't. It's not as fun as like Mamma Mia, you know what I mean, or High School Musical. So it's not really even a fun right. watch. Honestly, we've hit rock bottom. If 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 a movie is not as fun as Mamma Mia, uh, that's <laughs> that's that's as low as a movie can get. Have you seen Mamma Mia? I have seen Mamma Mia. Have you seen Mamma Mia? Here we go again. <laughs> If I didn't like Mamma Mia 1, what oh, makes you like think it. I'm going to sit through Mamma Mia 2? I haven't seen Mamma Mia A lot, of, a lot of people thought it was better. That's all I'm saying. But, Mac, you know, I've, if, you, Mac, if, I've you're seen a, board, if you're not on board for what it's doing, then... I've that, seen that, yeah. a lot of movies, man. I've seen Score, a hockey musical. I've seen every Alvin and the Chipmunks live-action movie. I well, do well, enjoy I, a good, bad... Mo- because I hate myself, Rob. <laughs> because I hate myself. <laughs> But there are, even I have my limits of what I'm willing to put myself through. 
Would you not, ever? Not an ABBA? Not an ABBA fan? Is there a single movie you would put yourself through to not have... Like, think of the... What, like, is there a movie where it's like, I would watch that a hundred times over with how bad it is, rather than see score once more? Well, like, The Room comes to mind, where, like, The Room is an enjoyably bad movie, and The Room never gets old. You know, The Room is always... Yeah. It gets uh, better after every viewing. Score a hockey musical is the kind of movie that you watch as a bad movie. You watch it once, and then you're kind of done with it. You know, <laughs> like, I, I own the DVD. I'm holding the box in my hand. Once I hit hang up on this podcast, I'm never picking this piece of crap <laughs> up ever again. It's not Burn it. good. It's not Burn. good. Now, here's my, here's my question. Burn it. If we're comparing it to the room, after repeated viewings, are there things you start to notice that you didn't notice before, or is it just, or have you have you seen everything you needed to see besides the stuff we mentioned before? You know what, man, is that like in in the room you pick up on different like line readings that are wrong or like different camera angles and like you can read the disaster artist, you can watch the disaster artist movie. And you can see all the different things that go wrong behind the scenes and how they translate on camera. This movie doesn't have that. Where, like, it's not a multi-layered failure. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this scene looks boring. Yeah, that's because it is. Oh, that, that <laughs> line wasn't read well. Well, there's no mystique behind it. It's not like Tommy Wiseau where he's from a different country and you're trying to determine, I wonder where his accent's from. No, it's just that Michael McGowan didn't make Ali McDonald do a second take. <laughs> there's there's such an easy explanation for all of it that okay, there's not as much mystery. There's not as much mystery. Uh, I I in, to answer my own question, I would recommend it to people who enjoy uh, bad movies. I would say grab some friends, get ready to laugh, laugh at how bad it is, make a and, drinking game out of it. Yeah, make a drinking game out of it if you want. And then never watch it again. Oh, uh, yeah. Beca because truth told, this is not nearly as as fun of a bad movie as something like Birdemic or something that is appalling. And in that regard, like I here's here's the ultimate point of the podcast, right? The ultimate point of the podcast is to find the worst sports movie of all time. And whenever you ask someone what's the worst movie you've ever seen, nobody ever really has like a true answer like that comes right away to them. They always have to think because who goes out of their way to watch bad movies, right? If it's a bad movie, you don't see it. <laughs> but I have but I have to ask you, seeing as this is the first trip down down the road, in the context of everything, I get by default it's it's the only movie on our list, but is, do you think this is the worst sports movie you've ever seen? Yes. There's no what the, from what I've seen so far, and I have seen a lot of sports movies. Nothing is as bad as score a hockey musical. Yeah, because I think I have to agree, but only because at least with most of the other movies, like it's it's a movie, you know, it's a succinct. It's a, pl a plot is there. There are characters, there are, you know, there are developments. This isn't, doesn't really feel like a movie. As you, we talked about, it feels like sketches, you know? Yes. Like, it just doesn't work. It doesn't, the, there are no working parts that all come together. And sometimes, you know, with other movies, that can be the case, but not to the level of score. Like, 
when you when 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 we watch this and when we, we rewatch it, we're not pointing out things because like you know it's bad or because like we're like oh that's funny. We're pointing out because we're angry. Like I found myself being <laughs> angry at certain moments of like incompetence, you know. That's and if and when when a place that like that is coming out of anger, that's the case. Like when we just going back to the room, the first time I watched the room, I didn't know what it really was. You know, I heard about it, and the first time I watched it, that anger did come out a little bit. There was some frustration. There's like, how is this possible? But once you once I knew that was happening and I got myself into that world, the second time I was laughing so hard. Yeah, because eventually you learn to stop questioning and just enjoy yeah. the ride. Exactly. There's no, yeah, there's, there's no turning point in, in the room. There is a moment where there's like, everyone has a different point in the movie where you, you stop complaining and enjoy the ride. It could be the first line where he goes, hi, babe, I have something for you. Uh, it could be, you are tearing me apart, Lisa. It could be any point. It could be the red roses scene where it's hi doggy. It could be any of those scenes where it's like, uh, wow, all right, I should really stop taking this so seriously. Score doesn't have that moment. There's no like one defining moment where you go, okay, this is irreparable. There's no turning back. Because it's such a consistent onslaught of wrong. The reason why I, I say that it's one of the worst, I will... I mean, obviously, it's it's the worst right now on our list because there's no others to compare it to. But I'm thinking ahead to when we start watching movies that are, like, classically bad, like Ed. Like mm. the, the Matt LeBlanc monkey I movie. all these movies. Yeah, I, we're all going through it together, bud. Uh, like, <laughs> Unified Passions is is a common answer of what's the worst sports movie of all time because it's, it's, it's FIFA uh, propaganda. Oh, okay. um, Ed is bad because it's Matt LeBlanc and a freaking monkey. Uh, <laughs> this movie is bad, but, but like Matt LeBlanc and a monkey, they set out to make a movie with Matt LeBlanc and a move and a monkey, and you know what? They made it. This <laughs> FIFA uni, Unified Passions, they set out to make a propaganda film like Joseph Goebbels, and you know what? They made a propaganda film, and they got Tim Roth to be in it. This is. It, Score you, a hockey musical sneak peeks to movies I haven't seen yet are incredible. Score <laughs> a hockey musical sets out to be a musical and fails so hard at being a musical that you almost can't even qualify it as a musical. Because the music is so in order for it to be a musical, you have to have good music. There's and no good music. There's not a single solitary song that you can point to and go, this is a finished product. <laughs> so do you think that it could, if they had just not made it a musical and they had kept all the characters, they had kept the plot lines, that at least would have been a better movie? It would have been a better movie, but it would have been a pointless movie. Yeah. That, I mean, we, that, we were talking before about Hallmark. Like, yeah, this is the quality here. and level of a Hallmark movie. Yes. Uh... This could, if you take out all the music, this is a TV movie that you see and you forget that you ever watched it. It's the kind of thing that you watch like when you are on a heroin kick, where you are <laughs> on the couch, mouth agape, saliva coming out of your mouth, insipid nonsense. Are, are, you, are you speaking from personal experience? <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. Uh, drugs, drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. But, 
when you add the music, at least you have someone's interest. You know, mm-hmm. when you say, hey, I've got a movie called Score a Hockey Musical, someone's ears are going to prick up and go, wow, that sounds terrible. Or, wow, that's different. I guess I'll watch for at least no other reason than pure curiosity. Mm-hmm. And you lose them so quickly. Yeah. Well, I think that's the problem, too, with sports movies is, is that, like, a lot of sports movies are obviously campy by nature. So they're they're going to – most of them aren't going to be as looked upon as great as the critics as you're talking about before with just most hockey movies. But So you can either have – there's the three sides. You can have a very good sports movie that's actually a good movie, an okay movie that's forgettable, and then, like, a really bad movie that's cheesy but still kind of memorable. Like, it's almost worse if you're a sports movie to be in the middle. To just be forgettable, you know. And then there's this. Yeah, the, the Mighty Ducks. You could, you could, you could say it's on the lower tier. It's cheesy, but it's memorable, and it's for kids, and it knows what it's doing. But like other yeah, hockey movies I've seen, like Mystery Alaska, or like fine. But what's there to remember, you know? That's true. I mean, like this movie, at least you you remember you saw it. You just have no desire really to ever see it again. So in that regard, like it's it's just such an abject failure mm-hmm. that, yeah, truth told, it's astounding that no one thought to give it a proofread because this needed so desperately to have a script supervisor, a lyricist, a composer. There are so many people. There are so many positions in this. It's like it's like the Michael Scott Paper Company. <laughs> it needed. Uh, an adult in the room to talk about uh, to, 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 to sort through the muddle that Michael McGowan created for himself. He needed other sets of eyes. Uh, yeah, this movie just like from beginning to end and like I know we didn't bring it up before but it's bad enough that the movie ends the way it does and then it has just even worse end credits stuff. Oh, that, can we talk about that? And at the end credit scene, just briefly. Yeah, Rob, go ahead. Oh, what what was that? Like, you just have. Wh- was your son a late bloomer? What? He scored three hundred goals in twelve games when he was ten. That scene like took one take because Gretzky literally said all of his lines at once in a and just just said them all, and they're just like, Here, okay, whatever. Here's here's my thought, right? That, well, the the scene for those who. Didn't stick around for the <laughs> Marvel Avengers end, uh, end credit scene. Yeah, man. Uh, really? so, so Walter Gretzky, it turns out, had the Infinity Gauntlet the whole time yeah. and decided to snap Farley into the ether. Um, and then kill and the Night King. <laughs> he, goes, <laughs> he goes, Mr. Gordon, I don't feel so good. And everyone cheers as Farley evaporates. Uh, <laughs> he does look like Tom Holland. He does look like Tom Holland. Don't flatter Noah Reed like that. Uh, He's a handsome man. He's a handsome man. Hey, Noah Reed did a great job. As, great good as, as, as good as he could. But like yeah. in, in the final scene is that Walter Gretzky and Mark Jordan are walking through a hallway, and Mark Jordan is asking him innocent questions about uh, raising Wayne. And it, it, I, I thought for a moment that Walter Gretzky had Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was walking through the hallways going, excuse me, sir, can someone please walk me home? <laughs> like, don't worry, pups, we're almost to your room. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it felt. It did feel like that. You're you know? like, 
He's like, can I, can I please get someone to take me home? I'm lost in the bowels of this stupid, nonsensical small rink that we're in the Mid-Hudson then, Center. If oh, it's not God. bad enough, once they hit the credits, it's Nelly Furtado covering Rush's Time Stand Still as the song. That was a get it, song, Canada. It? I get it, Canada. But, like, why is that song fit, and why is Nelly Furtado singing it unless she was paid extra to sing it, or she wasn't in the movie unless she sang it. But you also get Hawksley Workman singing. Whoa, oh, oh, hockey, hockey, oh, 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 hockey, hockey, oh, 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 hockey. If that isn't played at every single NHL arena this playoffs, we failed as a society. For real. All right, I need I need everyone out there to get get to your Twitter keyboards. Hashtag. Play score now. <laughs> I I spent too many minutes trying to figure out what the chord progression is because there's no tabs online, obviously. Are, are you playing a guitar right now, or is I that am. A computer? I am. So uh, I I started learning guitar back in January. Uh, really? Yeah. So that's that's been my project in 2019 is try to learn the guitar. This, and, uh, this is phenomenal news. Like, I wish your camera worked right now so we could see this. Can you play Wonderwall? Today is gonna be the day. No. <laughs> you ask me if I love how you. Can you play <laughs> anything I... from score? I just did. You no, did. but can you uh, anything else? Uh, hockey the equation. Play hockey the equation. Play hockey the equation. Hockey the equation. <laughs> That's the problem is that, like, if you said to someone, hey, can you play this song? Can you sing this song? There is no melody to any of them. <laughs> That's also kind of the problem with, um, as we were talking about before, with the the the, the, uh, the code song. It doesn't really. Yeah. My you main don't... problem with the code song is the, is the boy band choreography. Yeah. Because that you... doesn't fit the tone or the mood of the song at all. Like, yeah, we're tough. Yeah, man. Boy band, boy band, this, boy band, boy band, you know? The, the, the choreography and the and the chorus, it's funny you mentioned that because the, that song, you don't know if the chorus is the brothers yeah. or brothers, or is it to the code? I think it's, I, it's, I think it's supposed to be to the code because that's the title of the song. Or, but, but then there's also the bridge of the we go in the oh, corners and then we That's such a stupid part of that, that song. I thought that was clever. I thought that I was the guess. most that was the most clever incorporation of a melody that that they had. Right, the fair. I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe I have to maybe I have to re-listen to that song. It's contrived, but it's something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, I've, I like I mean the moose the moose really does sell it. He sells all right. it. Alright, here's the here's the final question I'll ask here. Uh before we just beat this dead horse any further. Uh <laughs> If you had to rate this movie a 1 to 10, Rob, what do you rate it? Negative 2. Mac? I'll go... I'll be... I'll say, like, 2.5. There's enough, like, things to remember where it's not like I would refuse to watch it again. I'll no, give it a, there's not. I, 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 I will give it... I'll give it a 1.5. The .5 is for Noah Reed... The rest of it, the movie is a musical that doesn't have good music. And uh, it fails so hard that I, I can't give it anything more than a 1.5. It, it's so bad. 
it's it's horrendous. On that note, on that bombshell, I think it's about time that we wrapped up the Sports Movie Madness podcast inaugural launch. Oh, I want to I, I want to thank my co-hosts here, Matt McNamara and Rob DeLuca, for joining back. me in this ring. We'll be back eventually. Uh, you can keep a lookout for us on Twitter. Uh, Rob, what is your Twitter handle? At Robbie underscore DeLuca 95. Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y? Yes. Yeah, and uh, Mac, what's yours? Uh, at Matt McNamara TV underscore. All right, so many underscores, and you guys... Yeah, you just... It wasn't working otherwise without him. Yeah, for me, it was just everyone at Spectrum does it, so it's just kind of a, it's kind of a group thing. All right, well, I'm at Casey Bryant 51. You can tweet at me or tweet at the Sports Movie Madness podcast with a movie that you want us to review. You can follow us uh, on the YouTube channel, Casey 51, for all future Sports Movie Madness reviews and Jersey Corner reviews, as well as long-form stories tangentially related to everything we talk about. That's it for the Sports Movie Madness podcast. Be sure to tune in next time. This has been an in-depth, thorough massacre of Score a Hockey Musical, an invisceration long overdue for this cinematic turd in the shallow end of the stupid pool. (laughs) 